0: All my life, I've wanted to be a writer, a storyteller. I even studied English and filmmaking in college. I did not get a traditional CS degree. Then, one of my first jobs was at ZDNet. I was a paid writer, finally. Woo woo! But my boss at the time, she didn't know much about InfoSec. And frankly, neither did I. But she realized it was going to be a growth area, both for ZDNet and for my own personal career. So I started attending Black Hat, DEF CON, and many other conferences. And after a few years, I wrote my own book on the insecurity of Internet of Things devices. Then I went for a CISSP certification. as a journalist, I, of course, had knowledge in all of the relevant domains, but my experience in each was only so deep. So I read Sean Harris's amazing CISSP prep guide, all 1,100 pages of it, cover to cover. And then, after finishing the book, I sat for six hours and I took the test. My arc represents 15 to 20 years of consistent work in InfoSec. The problem is, is that we have a shortage of InfoSec professionals here and now, not 20 years from now. So in a moment, I'll talk with someone who is trying to make a dent in that shortage in InfoSec professionals and how he's encouraging everyone in the industry to start looking outside the industry for new talent, such as me. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Famosi, and in this episode, I'm talking about how the infosec industry could be better served by looking beyond the traditional, do you have a CS degree, and hiring fresh talent from other areas. This shift in mindset could start to address any shortfall of infosec professionals we have today. you ask, there is a shortage of InfoSec professionals in the world today. How much of a shortage? Well, I guess the answer there is my usual security answer. It depends. Clearly, you don't want somebody off the street coming in as a level two security analyst. Then again, you might want someone, anyone, to come in as a level one security analyst so your current level ones can advance. It's simple things like that. But how do you even start to identify who might be a good candidate for a job in information security? Turns out the SANS Institute, which stands for SysAdmin Audit Network Security, has launched some programs to find out. I'm Sonia
1: Sandelius. Uh, I'm the assistant director of the SANS workforce programs. So just so you know, my background uh, with SANS has been Uh, just focusing on this sort of mission-driven programs in our business unit called Cyber Talent. And our goal is really to build a pipeline, right, of future professionals. And how do we do that and where do we find them? Very sort of innovative approach uh, to what we do. So it's not – we're not looking for those people with computer degrees and and, – Previous experience in the field—that's not the, the target market for us in our programs. We find the people off the street, if you like, you know, uh, from unconventional backgrounds. That's where the talent really is right now, or the future talent is. So, I spent ten years working on this, building these programs, finding these individuals, training them, and then helping them get employment. So that's based, bottom line, what we do really in our programs here.
0: The labor shortage in Infosec has been going on for years. So why then is Sunny talking to the media at this time? I think we wanted to
1: show the public that we actually exist. We have established programs. So if you're interested in pursuing a career in cybersecurity and you may not be looking at your conventional educational channels or or avenues to pursue, we wanted to let you know know that we exist, that there may be some opportunities for you here. to gain some world-class training that would help open doors into the job market.
0: Since 1989, the SANS Institute has attracted some of the best InfoSec talent in the world to teach their courses. It's a matter of pride to announce to the world that you'll be conducting the next class at SANS. So given this and that other training programs exist, just how acute is the problem with finding InfoSec talent today?
1: It's very cute, and it, it's been a big challenge for many, many years. Uh, the last report I read, uh, I think it was created by Glassdoor in, in 2021. There was a, more than 400,000 open positions in the U.S. alone, and if we think globally, it's probably in the millions. So we're not talking about 10,000s of people; we're talking about hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, so it's a very big problem, and there's not enough people with the skill set to fill these positions anywhere in the country. So employers are literally recruiting from other companies. If you look at the talent pool, the conventional way of finding talent, you're just hiring from someone else's talent pool, basically. So it's it's a big need and it will not get less. The more technology we introduce in our lives, in our lifestyles, the more opportunity there is for the bad guys to steal your information and your data and your money. So the numbers will just increase in the
0: future. Perhaps what InfoSec is going through today must have been experienced in other industries before. For example, before Edison, were there electricians out in the field?
1: I think there's been numerous waves over the years. Uh, I think we can talk about sort of all the vocational programs that are out there that create, you know, you have uh, programs that become an electrician or a plumber, things of that nature. I think that we, we're in this field, it's kind of in the same situation. I just think the numbers we're talking about here is much larger, right? In the US alone, uh, uh, was it four, maybe four over 400,000 open jobs, that's a lot. So I think it's the same challenge. It's just a different field this time around.
0: And another part of the problem, I think, is that we need more diversity in InfoSec. And I don't mean diversity in the traditional HR diversity and inclusion definition, but in terms of people who worked in healthcare for several years and now want to get into InfoSec, or worked in automotive and now want to get into InfoSec. There needs to be more non computer engineering people in InfoSec.
1: There is a great need for diversity and there's, a, there's a, a, an opportunity there to find the talent from all other kind of life walks and backgrounds uh wherever you are in your career you can change your career you you can do that you can work your way into the cybersecurity field it could be difficult but it's man- it's doable uh in our uh, the SAS workforce programs, we call them cyber emotion academies. We recruit uh, military veterans, women, minorities. We uh, launched a new program uh, recently for HBCU students and alumni, for example. Uh, we have um, a cybersecurity workforce development program in the state of Maryland, which is funded by the grant from the state of Maryland, for example, and we find people with unconventional backgrounds, that's where they are, that's where the future talent is. And there are many people that are looking to change careers. Uh, So some of the students we have had in our programs have been line cooks, they've been Uber drivers, they've been stay-at-home moms that have maybe raised two or three children over 10 years and felt like I need to get back to the workforce. I find cybersecurity really interesting. I've been dabbling around at home, but I can't find the right trajectory uh, the right path to learn the things I need to get the foot in the door. Uh, so there are people out there with passion for the field, for the industry. They just don't know where to go yet to get into the field. So they come from all backgrounds. Uh, we have office managers that have been through the program. Uh, people stocking shelves in the supermarket, I might not mention that. Uh, so they're out there. You just need to find them and you might need to train them to help them get into the field.
0: So this is what I don't get. If we have all this new technology in our lives, and we have this romantic expectation of what it means to be a hacker in our media, people like Elliot Alderson or Dade Murphy... Take the the planet! ...then why do we in fact have this labor shortage? That's a good question, and we
1: have spent some years trying to figure that out. Um, a colleague of mine. We used to travel around to sense training conferences across the country. Uh, we hosted lunch and learns to talk about our programs, but also to sort of f- trying to figure out why is the recruitment not working for companies? Why aren't they finding the talents? We had all these professionals in the same room. It could be sometimes there were forty people in this room. Sometimes there was only twenty. But what we wanted to figure out is how do they recruit and why are they not finding the talent? Well, the bottom line seemed to be there's a little uh, disconnect in what the security team really needs in a new person, in a new hire, and what HR is doing to check the boxes to do their job. That's one key thing, I think. The other thing is you recruit the same old-fashioned way as you always do. Uh, You have a job posting, you post it on LinkedIn or a job board somewhere. Uh, You have some basic requirements, uh, college degree, two to three years of work experience, maybe for entry-level jobs. So you're really fishing in the same pond as everybody else. And there's not enough fish in that pond anymore. It just isn't. It's empty. So what do you do then? Well, you recruit from other companies, basically. You're cannibalizing on the current existing workforce. That's really what you're doing but you're missing everybody else that is not in the field but might have the aptitude and potential to learn cybersecurity, to do the job you need them to do. We think those are some of the key issues.
0: So this is gonna sound really harsh to HR departments, but there is a grain of truth in it. This isn't traditional recruiting and hiring. This is more like curating curiosity and talent. Also, the HR team isn't always the most knowledgeable about the specific needs in the job role, so traditional HR seems a little disconnected a bit to what we currently need. And so, the stories of like Google hiring people by making them solve puzzles and whatnot isn't so far fetched.
1: I want to go a bit further down there. I think we're what we're talking about here is, is, is if you have a large company, for example, and Let's say you see a business opportunity that's going to require you to hire, let's say 30 or 40 professionals over the next couple of years. You have your specific security team, cybersecurity teams, they need to hire maybe 30, 40 people, whatever it may be, and you send them this job description the way it goes. You have to send HR job description. Here are the things we want, two to three years of work experience for end level job, uh, we would like for them to have a couple of industry certifications, uh, so on and so forth. HR then posts those job uh, descriptions and get applications. Uh, <clears throat> but HR doesn't always know in the screening interview what to ask about. For example, they, they look at they look at what what the security team sent them because that's the structure they have for hiring. Right? They have these they have these set processes that they have to follow. And HR looks at this checklist, and they're looking at you, Robert, and they go, okay, Robert has X, Y, and C, but he doesn't have one, two, and three, right? So they just do checklisting. Uh, but what we're seeing happening here, if you really want to cast a wide net, you have to start thinking outside the box as an employer. How do I recruit people, and where do I recruit them from? So what I mentioned earlier, when you can sit the HR people down with the technical teams and really look at the job description, does this job really require a four-year degree? doesn't matter what kind of degree it is, right? Because that's how these job applications work, and and then you might have software tools that filter out people that don't check the box that you have a four-year degree, for example. Then you already put up a barrier there. So what if you get those folks in the same room and start looking at the JavaScript and what is really necessary and what can we be more flexible on? You can actually open up your candidate pool that way. If you break down some of those initial barriers because that's the way you've done it in the past and we have always done it that way, you might start finding more people with talent that you didn't know was out there, which probably means that your recruitment process will hopefully be less cumbersome And you will find more candidates that could be suitable for your job. But that might also need that you as an employer might need to help to train them up. If you find somebody you really like that are self-taught, that are trying to explore things on their own because they really want to get into this field, well, maybe you should actually hire that person. Maybe you need to put some training towards them, some more training budget to make sure that that person can actually do the job. I think you need as an employee to rethink the way you recruit and who you recruit. But if you can do that, you will probably be able to find the people you need. You may have to put some more money towards developing a different recruitment process, or maybe also train them a little bit so they can actually be onboarded.
0: So, again, we have all these media representations of InfoSec professionals and hackers. I mean, who wouldn't want to have the mad skills of Elizabeth Salander? Again, just putting out a job rack and asking for, say, 10 years of Kubernetes experience just doesn't do it. I mean, at the time of this podcast, Kubernetes has not been around for 10 years. So you get the point. The fact is, we need a new pitch.
1: Uh, Well, the pitch is really, it's it's an attainable career. If you have some passion for it, uh, you can make it happen. Uh, We do some marketing around uh, our initiatives, um, but the bottom line is you don't have to have a strong technical background to be good at cybersecurity. You don't need to know programming to be able to do cybersecurity. What you need is a passion for it, and some aptitude to learn technical content. And if you can offer these folks a pathway, they will find their way to you. And then eventually they can work the way, they can be trained, and you can help them find the jobs. It's possible, it's doable, we do it every day.
0: So given that we're widening the net for new InfoSec talent, who are some of the more successful students then?
1: Students we can say we have in our programs have a, a, a. an aptitude to learn technical content, uh, parsing, critical thinking, reasoning, uh, but also a drive and a desire to learn this. So if you think about the people that sit at home on a Friday night trying to figure out how Wireshark works, uh, how do you do port scanning? What does that look like? What tools do you need for that? The people that actually are taking free online courses through Coursera or Udemy or any other kind of free resources, the folks that play capture the flags with teams or on their own just trying to learn what is cybersecurity, those people can be really good at this. And it doesn't matter what your background is. But you have to have a little bit of a You must have some passion for it. Otherwise, you could probably do it, but maybe the field is not for you. so that natural curiosity to figure out how things work, the problem solving skills, looking at details, those are valuable skills to have that would help you towards a career in cyber.
0: I should also mention that there's a ton of content available for free online. YouTube has influencers such as Live Overflow and Stoke, both of whom have been on this podcast. You can learn a lot by following along with their videos. But some people may need more of a formal program, such as the one offered by SANS. We have a
1: pretty good established program here uh, where we utilize the SANS courses that uh, mainly professionals come to take. And I believe SANS trains about 40,000 to 50,000 professionals every year. And we we take that training. It's already developed. And it's world-class training. So we don't really need to go anywhere else to get that training uh, packaged and delivered. We have that channel already. Uh, but I think for you as a person who might want to get into cybersecurity career, it's probably really beneficial to you to look into those resources. You can learn from it. You can hopefully follow along with some of the instructions they have. Uh, but really, with the red flag, it's, it's really hard to learn cybersecurity on your own though. Uh, and I think what I've heard a lot from the people we interview applying for our programs is I spent the last two or three years trying to figure out what what is my baseline? What do I need to start with? What do I need to have in my backpack before I can actually start knocking on some employers' doors? Mm. That is really difficult. Uh, and you can get sidetracked more often than not. Uh, you go into those rabbit holes and you find yourself looking at Python programming, and the next day you're trying to figure out how to install the virtual machine to test some things on your computer, right? So that is difficult, but there's a lot of content out there that you can actually use, though. If you find a trusted source, you should probably look into that.
0: Again, all this sounds well and good if your employer is willing to pay for the program. There's a training involved. And then there's just taking a certification test costs several hundred dollars. My company at the time paid for my CISSP test. I do know, having talked to Tanisha Martin at Black Girls Hack, that paying for certifications can easily be challenging for some people. So
1: our uh, Cyber Emotion Academy programs, um, the ones I mentioned earlier, are 100% scholarship based. So our applicants uh, pay nothing towards the program, if if they are selected to the program. Uh, it's a 100% free, free ride for them. Uh, so that's a great opportunity. But there is another organization um, that has a really good program, too. It's the Science Technology Institute. I, I just think I don't know too much about this specific part or what they're offering. But they have something called an income share agreement, where you, as an applicant, if you get into one of the undergraduate programs, uh, but you can't afford the tuition right now, but you're accepted to the specific income share agreement, you pay nothing towards tuition, you will get a number of SANS courses and you would earn some certifications. And once you land your job and make, I think, over $40,000, that's when you start reimbursing the SANS Technology Institute for the training. So I think that's a really great avenue if you are at that level and you're really serious about a career in cybersecurity. When it comes to pursuing other certifications, I think there are other training institutions that have training that costs much less. Um, but to find money towards that certification exam is probably the biggest cost, and maybe not so much the course itself. You can find buy books, I think, and and, and read up and study for the certification exam. I think. You then as a person, if you need help with that, you need to just shop around a little bit. Look and see what type of organizations are out there who is trying to help me get into the field, right? So do your research, go online, spend a number of days looking up non-profit organizations. There are a lot of them out there with the same mission. Uh, They're all focused maybe on different areas and different populations, but I'm sure there's something out there for you and they may be able to help you with that specific part. Uh, so there, there are, I think there are multiple avenues. You just need to do some, some online research to find them. There are bigger and there are smaller ones. There are a lot of different organizations that are well-funded, that do a lot of similar things as we do. Uh, they, they also offer mentorships, things of that nature to help you project your career forward.
0: So there's an application process and you submit your details and SANS reviews it and they say, hey, you'd be good. You're selected. So what would be the next step? We got to
1: start with it. I think it's a key component here in the application process. Uh, any person that meets our general requirements uh, to apply for one of our programs, they all have to take an online assessment test. And the assessment test will Help us understand if you have some basic skill set in technology, if you know something about technology. But it's also going to show us if you have an aptitude to learn this technique. What we don't want to do is to put someone into our program that might actually fail. It wouldn't be fair to them. Uh, We don't have a little off-ramp. We can tell them, "Yeah, go and look at these free resources. Uh, study those for a little bit and come back and apply again in four months from now and have another shot at it but if you move on in this our application process you submit some documentation it's resume transcripts some of the normal stuff just for us to look at and get a better grasp on who you are uh, and what you're looking to do and then uh, we have a personal interview with you and th- i think this this part is the most important part in the application process It's where I get to learn about you, what your goals are, what do you do on your spare time that is focusing on anything IT related. Are you following people on Twitter that who are in the cybersecurity field? Are you subscribing to some mailing list? Are you listening to podcasts? Uh, Do you conduct, uh, are you participating in Capture the Flags? We try to learn all these unconventional things oh, sure, we want to learn what the five-year career goals are, but that's not as important as for us to learn. Are you really passionate about this field? Because if you are, then you're probably going to do really well in our program and you will succeed and employers will be really excited to talk to you.
0: So what does the actual program look like? What can you expect if you've been chosen to participate?
1: In our programs, uh, some of our programs you can earn up to two sans courses and the connected GX certifications. Uh, in some of our other programs you can you can pursue three sans courses and the connected GX certifications. It's, it's, a, it's a very fast track. Uh, our students get uh, eight weeks to complete one sans course and GX certification exam. A commercial client taking the same type of course, have a 120 days to prepare for a certification exam. Mm. So ours is more condensed, more fast track, and it's back to back. Uh, A three course program, it takes six months. Uh, But what we also have to support our students in the program, we have technical mentors who are certified in these courses. Some of them have been through our programs in the past and are now working professionals. Others are working professionals, but also certified in these programs. They may not just have been through our specific scholarship programs. And they run weekly check-in calls with all the students, making sure they're on track, answering questions about the course content, helping them guide them through hurdles. If they get stuck, maybe they're working on a a lab and and they're they're putting in the command line and they're not getting the output they need. The mentor can then guide them through that little hurdle to make sure they're moving on in the program. Uh, But we also have a, a career service team that work with every student to prepare them uh, um, for the job hunt. Uh, That includes resume building, uh, mock interviews, uh, talking about imposter syndrome, uh, but also helping them connect with employers. All these things that are really important for you to be ready to knock on doors.
0: As I said, I read Sean Harris's CISSP book, A Nights and Weekends, while working a full-time job. What sort of time commitment are we asking here?
1: You have to commit to it. It's literally part-time studying. So if you have, let's say you're a career changer and you are admitted to one of our programs, and maybe you work a full-time job, well, then you have to study part-time. That means after work, after dinner, maybe you have to put your kids to bed, which means your evening and night gets very long and your sleep gets less and less. But it's a very short time of your life that you invest in this program and in yourself. So you can do it. Uh, But yeah, it, it takes a lot of discipline. Uh, It requires a lot of hours. Uh, You live and breathe this program as long as you're in it. But there's always a light at the end of the tunnel, and there's a high chance, a real high chance, you will be employed once you're done in our program.
0: So we've talked a lot about people who are already in the workforce today and perhaps transitioning. What about high school students?
1: No, not not for this particular program, because we, we train them to, literally come out of our programs and, and, and secure a job. Uh, SANS has other initiatives that help high school students um, explore cybersecurity. Uh, one of the initiatives is called Cyber South America, uh, which is a really fantastic online competition and tool where it's a, it's a gamified platform. Uh, I think it runs once or twice a year. Uh, uh, and it, it looks like a video game. It's amazing. Uh, you go through different levels and stages and bases, and you learn as you play the game. Anything from you know, network security, password cracking, uh, digital forensics, things of that nature. Uh, and there, uh, I think SANS also runs on cyber camps uh, for high school students in the past. Uh, so there are some avenues as you, as a high school student, to, to pursue if you're interested in cybersecurity. But the workforce program is not really for the high school students though. It's more for the job ready.
0: The key to success here is that SANS is not going alone on this. They're partnering with employers to make it a successful program.
1: Well, we have a lot of what we call employer partners. They support our initiatives. And uh, once our students are getting ready to look for jobs, we either reach out to our employer partners as hey, we have now 25 students coming out of the programs. They're interested in your company. Do you have any, avail- any openings? But sometimes they come from the other and they send us uh, job postings. Hey, uh, do you have any students interested in working for our company? We're not we're right now looking for a network security engineer. Uh, do you have, may you have someone to fit the bill and someone who might be interested in our particular company? So we have that uh, dual uh, channel communication with them. Uh, across all our different accounts, I think we're around three to 400 students a year. Uh, that's in the US alone. Uh, we are also the training provided to a really great initiative in Ontario. Uh, Toronto, Ontario, where we uh, help uh, the Roger Cybersecure Catalyst uh, train hundreds and hundreds of Canadians uh, over a number of years. So they are building a future workforce there as well, uh, very similar to our programs in the US. So we're also active there. So that adds you know, and hundreds and hundreds of more people. In-
0: and that's just a drop in the ocean for how many more InfoSec people are needed today. The existing process, well, it's just not enough. I think there's a
1: large gap. Uh, experience that they, they, if you look at, for example, higher education today, where we're talking about college and new universities, right? Uh, there's not enough people coming out. Of these programs to fill these positions, right? There's not enough people that have the hands-on skills to actually fill these jobs. So that's when you you now have to start looking at as an employer how do we recruit, where do we recruit, and who do we recruit? But also, who's going to train all these people, right? Uh, maybe you then, as an employer, need to start looking at partnerships, right? okay, I'm, I'm, I might need 100 people to fill open position within the next six, seven years in my company, but where are I going to find all those people? Because there's other companies that want those 100 people as well, right? right. But if I can find 100 people that I think have a good aptitude or passion for this field and they, they want to work for me for my company, I might need to start looking at how do, how, how can I train those people? So maybe you need to find some partnership with a training organization that can actually deliver the skills that you want these people to have to come work for you. So I think you need to broaden your horizon. Not only is it about finding the people, it's also probably going to be how do we train them? Who's going to train them? I have a really, really good example here. Uh, We have done this a few times in the past. We had a private organization reach out to us a number of years ago. This company needed to hire, I think it was 30 or 40 people within a couple of years. They were growing and were growing fast. And uh, the person who led the talent acquisition team, he understood cybersecurity. Uh, he reached out to us. He had seen the programs we're running and he liked the idea of that. So he said, I want you to set up that same thing, but for our company alone. We need to hire this many people. We need them to have these skill sets and these type of courses you, SANS offering is very much in line with what we need our people to be able to do at work. So what we did then, we set up this type of immersion academy program just for them. Uh, we ran the application process on the front end. We assessed people, put them through assessment tests, uh, collected all the documentation we needed, such as resumes and, uh, Transcripts, things of that nature, and then we put the top people in front of the company and said, "Hey, okay, here are the people we think could be a good match for for your program." And they're technically recruited. Then went in and started interviewing all these people to make sure that okay, we like these people, we think they will be a good addition to our company. They seem interested in the work for our company. Great, let's put them in the first course of training. And the key thing here was that. Um, The student knew exactly how the process worked. They were going to go through the first course in the program. And if they pass the certification exam, they will be hired on the spot. So they knew there was was a set end goal. I need to pass that first course and certification exam. I will then be hired by this company. They got onboarded. And then they got a second course while then actually were employed by by the company then. And that worked beautifully. It worked, it was very innovative. Uh, The man who ran this team, he understood what he wanted to accomplish and how to get there. And we were just happy to be part of being their training provider. So it works, but you might as an employee need to find somebody that can help you with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of our alumni who completes our programs come into entry-level cybersecurity jobs because you gotta keep in mind that None of these people have any prior cybersecurity work experience. Uh, some of them may have earned a few certifications, sort of mid entry level certifications, they, but they go into entry level jobs, uh, cyber analyst, tier one, tier two, incident response. You're not going to be come out and become a pen tester immediately because that generally requires so much more knowledge and experience. You're looking at, if you want to be a penetration tester, you're probably going to look seven, eight years down the road because you have so much to learn before you actually can step into those types of roles. Um, But M2 level jobs and um, we have seen companies from all different industries hiring our students.
0: Short of hiring out of the program and reflecting on the idea that this is becoming more of a vocational talent than an academic talent, are there apprenticeships in information security and might that be a good idea?
1: Yes, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, uh, Over the last couple of years, uh, we've started to see that uh, uh, apprenticeships start popping up. Uh, Companies are launching apprenticeships. And I think overall they're good. Uh, I think they're really great if they actually need to job with your particular company. So if you as an employer start an apprenticeship Personally, I feel that you need to have a specific goal with the apprenticeship. And that means I need to hire people. So you bring them on board into your apprenticeship, you train them on the job. That's literally what I feel an apprenticeship should be. And it should lead to an actual job role. Uh, I have a horror story. This was a military veteran I spoke to a couple of years ago, uh, just when the apprenticeship started surfacing. uh, when I spoke to him, he was very unhappy. He had found an apprenticeship on the West Coast with some company. He, he at the time, had lived on the East Coast. And I think it was a four to six-month apprenticeship. Uh, I think it was just sort of a general IT program, maybe not security specifically. So he um, canceled his lease on the East Coast, packed up all, all his belongings, moved to the West Coast, uh, completed the apprenticeship in his program, and was under the impression that it would be a job after that. But it wasn't. So all the people in that apprenticeship were never hired. So he was stranded on the West Coast with no job opportunities. Uh, so he was promised something that was not delivered. But then there are other companies that are doing it really the a really great way. They're onboarding these people in the apprenticeship. They are training them to do the work they need them to do. Those are good apprenticeships, and they work. Uh, I have also seen uh, other companies recently starting apprenticeships. Uh, Those seem to be a little intricate in a way. Um, I spoke to a person not too long ago uh, who had just been accepted uh, uh, to an apprenticeship. But the key thing in this apprenticeship was that uh, this person had to complete four different industry certifications. So he had to go out, find the course content, study them on his own, preparing for the certification exams. He received a a weekly stipend, a couple of hundred dollars, to just keep him going and working towards that goal. And this particular apprenticeship meant that he had to complete and pass all these certification exams. Then, Then we'd hire him on board for a specific, I don't know, maybe it was a government contract. I'm not entirely sure there. But he had to do all that work on his own to get that job offer. And he received some stipend in, on a weekly basis of it. I don't know if that model is, 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 is really good in terms of quality. But if It sounded more like a quantity. You need a massive amount of bodies to go through this so you can put them into positions. Uh, in that aspect, I feel like if you're running that type of apprenticeship, probably need to have some more support systems for these potential employees of yours. So while they're studying and preparing for these certification exams, you might have some kind of mentorship tied into that, some support system to make sure that these people that are showing an interest in working for you in the future, you might need to help support them through that period of time before you onboard them. So there are some variations of apprenticeships out there uh, we have seen. uh, some seem to be a little bit more fruitful than others.
0: There is a distinction between an apprenticeship and an internship.
1: I think internships seems to be a little bit shorter in time. I might be completely wrong here. Internship seems to be more of you, you get to shadow along somebody for a few months, uh, learn to trade a little bit, get some professional experience from a specific industry or field, Apprenticeship uh, apprenticeships is, is, in my, in my world, as, as far as I know, but it's more we're training you up to do a specific job. That's really what we're doing. So you get to maybe do a little bit more hands-on stuff than you would otherwise in an internship. I think internships are good too, especially if you are really new to the field and you get to land, let's say, summer internship uh, in, in a SOC, in a Secure Operations Center. I think that's fantastic because then you can get a, get the look and feel for how the industry actually operates while you're in the office. And if you maybe you're in college and you land a summer internship, that is great because then you know what to expect uh, from that type of environment once you graduate. Uh-huh.
0: So going back to the question of where we might be getting the shortage from, it could be that there's such a general ubiquity to computers today and high tech that it's creating this gap. So perhaps part of the problem is that we still think of InfoSec as something high level that you absolutely need a degree to understand, that it's unattainable for most people. We haven't yet thought of InfoSec as being vocational, you know, something that everyone needs. Of course, you need a plumber. Of course, you need an electrician. And of course, you're going to need computer technicians.
1: I think that that sort of IT and cybersecurity in particular has been a very little small branch of everything IT, right? I think we need to think about it as I say, it's it's vocational. Everybody's going to need someone that knows how to do this. And by doing so, we can start introducing that as a potential career field for a much, much broader audience. You might need to start introducing cybersecurity further down the age groups. We're talking now high school students. We know there's a lot of initiatives for high school students already. We know there's some middle schools that started introducing programming, for example, right? I think if you really wanna look ahead in the future, you gotta go and look backwards a bit in terms of age groups and start introducing IT, as a potential career field. There are, I think a lot of people out there, now I'm talking about grown-ups in, in particular though, that have always been interested in IT and cybersecurity, but never really been brave enough to take this step, sort of test it out, or maybe their career trajectory didn't take it that way. And, and you know, we're talking about minority groups in the field. You know, women are really good at cybersecurity, minorities from all kinds of backgrounds, right? A lot of women I've spoken to over the years that come to our, our Women's Academy program. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about IT for 15 years and cybersecurity, but I never really dared to take the step for it. I think the time is now. From, now it's my time to try this. Make or break, right? But introducing this this field uh, early on, um, when you're in schools, when you start talking about career, you don't always have to be a firefighter or a policeman. Uh, you don't always have to be the, 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 the person that developed a, an, an app for, for iPhone that you can sell and become a multimillionaire to, right? But if you can start introducing this as an actually a real career field and all the different branches within it at a younger age, we might be able to sort of broaden that front-end funnel a bit more.
0: So as an employer, how might I go about recruiting for cybersecurity then?
1: When it comes to hiring people, uh, we touched a bit on it back and forth here uh, with you as an employer. Uh, the need, there's such an imbalance between supply and demand and we're not getting enough people coming out of higher ed. Um, if you're an employer and you listen to this podcast and you have a great hiring need, I urge you to look outside your normal channels of recruiting, Start looking at military veterans coming out of the military service. These men and women are exceptionally skilled to pursue a career in cybersecurity. It does not matter where they're from in the military, but they have this this ability to hit the floor running. You ask them to do something, even if they don't know how to do it, they're going to try to figure out how to do it. They are a really great resource for you to recruit from. A lot of companies do that. A lot of government contractors recruit military veterans because they have security clearance. But I'm thinking about all the other companies across the country. The law firms, the Walmarts, the Costcos, any kind of organization that needs a security team. Look at military veterans. Start looking at women in general and minorities. There are so many talented people that you can tap into there, uh, that you can find that actually has a, a, a really good Ability to and skill set to perform cybersecurity for you and unemployed, underemployed, uh, break down those barriers uh, for entry, rethink your process. There are such a big talent pool out there, you just need to go find them. That means you probably need to change the way you find people. And uh, I want to tell, I'm going to sort of uh, say some encouraging words for you listeners who might. Thinking about a career in cybersecurity. First of all, don't give up. Uh, find resources, find training opportunities. Uh, we know and we understand it's really difficult to be, to sort of self-teach you these things. If you if you can't afford to go to college or uh, pursue certification exam. don't give up. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Learn some programming here and there. Uh, participate in Capture the Flags. There are a lot of free resources online that are uh, so entry-level, uh, how should I call it? You know, Hacker or cybersecurity sandboxes you can play around in. Tap into those. Uh, look at all these uh, Capture the Flag competitions online. You have the National Cyber League, for example, we consist of a lot of network and security and other competitions you could participate from entry level to expert level things of that nature explore that but but most of all if you're interested in career in cybersecurity first learn of all the different fields in cybersecurity because if you find out what kind of different branches are available you might find what you're most passionate about then you have a goal to work against and then you can learn about that specific role you're very interested in what would you actually need to be attractive to to an employer in that specific job role. Uh, And if you're thinking about penetration testing, for example, that is probably more of a long-term goal. But then you have to look at what's your entry level goal. How do you get the foot in the door? How do you get in front of a keyboard every day so you can sit and do some real hands-on work? Uh, There are opportunities for you out there. You just need to go find them, but have a clear goal learn about the different fields. I think that's my my biggest recommendation for you who are looking for a career in cyber.
0: And there are advantages to this for everyone. For example, someone who's already in the field can benefit if they're an analyst one and they want to someday move up to being analyst two. It would be to their benefit to have someone that can take their place.
1: So if you need more people, to do cybersecurity work for your company, you you probably need to also look internally, right? As you just mentioned, uh, we're talking about upskilling here. It's not necessarily reskilling, but maybe we're talking about upskilling internally. So you look at your security team, who do you have in what position? What does the future look like for this team? Do you need to hire more people? Okay, who can we move up the ladder in the company? Okay, so you got to have a good plan for that. And then you look at who do I help at the help desk level, for example, right? The network operations center, maybe you have a big network operations center and you have a lot of people punching tickets every day at entry level, help desk Why don't you sit down and talk to them, listen to hear what their career goals are. I bet you there's a couple of those folks there that wants to get into cybersecurity. Then you are going kind to of start building that ladder. Who do we move up in each position? And who do we then need to recruit for that entry-level job, right? So you got to look holistically over that whole approach you have. But uh, then I think also that kind of leads into retention also, right? How do you retain your people? And that's a big issue as well for a lot of employers. How do you keep the company? How do you keep your staff on board? How do you keep them happy? How do you keep them engaged? I think that kind of builds into what we're right now talking about when you're moving people after that. Up the ladder and then you fill those positions where you move people from uh, i think as a, as a as an employee you might need to spend more and lose less if that makes sense that means you spend more on recruitment you 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 might need to put more funding to recruit other your, your, your conventional ways and look at unconventional recruitment channels but also spend a little bit more internally that means you might need to you need to train those people you want to move up Right? If you're an analyst one and you want to move that person up to tier two, maybe that person needs some more training. Well, you might actually have to increase your training budget. But doing so would actually only benefit you as a company as a whole. Because what if you don't? What if you don't spend enough money to train the people you have and a breach happens? Then you can lose millions and millions and millions of dollars. It might be worth spending a few more thousand dollars on each individual in your team on an annual basis. And I'm saying this only because the most happy people of our alumni I've seen, they stay along with the employer if the employer is, is investing in them to offer them more training on an annual basis. I've heard people getting, you know, ask the question, so what's your training budget for this year? Um, $500 or $1,000. Well, that doesn't go very far. Okay, but if you and an employee look at the people you have, okay, I, I might need to put some people through some training. I probably need to spend thousands and thousands of dollars for it. But that's probably a very good thing because that means you're keeping your people trained and skilled at all times. It keeps them at the job. And if you also see them in a future career with your company, you can train for that as well. And then you're building that internal pipeline right, that we just talked about. Uh, but it would also make the employer feel more engaged that, that you as an employer, you are making a statement that you are very important to us. I'm gonna give you this training every year. And that will p- keep the person very happy because as all as human nature is, we, we get bored doing the same thing every single day, right? We might have other interests we would like to pursue, but if you as employee can fuel that passion, the employee is probably going to stay with you for a long time. So spend more, lose less.
0: And if all this seems daunting, it's really not. Sunny has some words of encouragement to anyone thinking about starting a new career in cybersecurity.
1: Look for all those specific opportunities that are out there. You can find a way. You just need to find the right fit for you. But don't give up. It doesn't matter if you're 40 years old or you're 25. There is a spot for you in in the industry. There really is.
0: I really want to thank Sunny and the Sands Institute for addressing this problem by presenting a novel approach to hiring in InfoSec today. Actually, it's not really that novel. Thirty years ago, people were learning from articles posted on bulletin boards. There was no formal training to become an information security expert at that time. And they went on, nonetheless, to have careers in information security. We've lost that, in part because you can get that training today, but that training isn't available to everyone If you've got the curiosity and the aptitude to learn, then I encourage you to look into some of these programs, such as the ones at SANS, to get you started into information security. Having a career in information security is really cool. And I'm just surprised there aren't more of us. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, tell a friend. I bet there are others who like commercial free narrative information security podcasts. I have so many stories about hackers who are making a positive difference in the world. I don't want you to miss out. Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at Robert Vimosi on Twitter or join me on discord. You can find the deets at HackerMine.com. The hacker mine is brought to you every two weeks commercial free by for all secure for the hacker mine. I remain Robert Famosi.